Welcome, one and all, to another episode of Left Turn Canada. Andy Burkowski, Christo Avalis here. We came through the smog and fires that are taking over most of southern Ontario for a triumphant return. It just took, you know, one of the worst natural disasters that we've seen in a little while for this area, at least. Again, out west, there's terrible climate disasters pretty much every single day so we're we're happy to be back but Christo I, I I don't know about you we're talking a little bit before we recorded but it is wild to see how the impacts of climate change are so in our face that smoke is literally you know engulfing skyscrapers in Toronto and every time you step outside it smells like those expensive candles that you get in Bed Bath and Beyond of like a wildfire and we're just, we're not really seeing, at least I haven't seen, that real push from any major politician suggesting like, oh, maybe this is like end time sort of shit and we need to do something better than just, you know, tax credits to make some changes. Because this is scary stuff and I feel like people are afraid. You know, I don't think this is something that people are willing to feel like is normal at this point. Maybe I'm being hopeful. It has been a while since we've talked about this stuff. Maybe I got more hopeful in the last little while. But uh, yeah, what are you thinking, Christo? Man, I don't know. I Like, yeah, I think a lot of people see this. And again, maybe for a lot of us who live in like cities in eastern Canada or in the eastern United States who, again, don't necessarily experience this all that often. I know, again, in the West, this is more prevalent. There's been, in the last decade or so, there's been lots of major wildfires in Alberta. Mm -hmm. People have been displaced. Uh, and even if you haven't been displaced, you've seen all the people displaced into your community. It becomes very real. Um, wildfires in BC mm -hmm. and, you know, wildfires in California. I know this is not a new thing for many of us in North America, but for us in the East Coast, it is. And if you look at the data... Um, you know, wildfires happen, right? Like, mm -hmm. the, you know, before humans, wildfires happened. But the amount of wildfires already in Canada this year are like above the yearly average. And it's June, right? Mm -hmm. Like it hit the thousand the mark already, yeah. which is wild. Yeah. The wildfire marks are supposed to increase in June, July, August, what have you. So the fact that we're already at like the yearly record mark or not yearly record, but like yearly average or whatever is is insane. Mm -hmm. Um but I don't see a whole lot of urgency. And, you, and in fact, you see the, the same typical voices yeah. uh, saying the same typical things, which is that, oh, you know, uh, it's just this is natural. This is no big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen some Americans say that, oh, you know, Canada is the climate cult. Right. <laughs> like and they're and they have the wildfires. Uh, and so all this pro climate change policy that Canada is supposedly doing, we're like the the, the 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 Green New Deal capital, which of course is is insane yeah, to suggest. But but like it, that's their idea, right? It's like oh, Canada's doing all of this stuff, and uh, and they have the wildfires, so maybe it's like it's it's there's no point in doing anything. Uh, just literally, uh, uh, just as I was scrolling just this morning, one of the uh, uh, Fox News. Uh, talking about these wildfires because again they're happening in Canada but the smoke is billowing down into the U.S. and depending on where you are I mean it looks like New York 
got it worse than most places in Canada did, actually. Yeah, there, the there the was one stat blew, that right? New York this week during one hour period was the most polluted inhabited place on the planet, according yeah. to air quality for one hour because of and that's not common, right? Like, obviously, there's pollution, but that is not something that they normally yeah, hit. New York's air quality is usually pretty decent. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not really an industrial city anymore. Um but yeah, they, it was almost entirely because of the because of the wildfires. But what's really interesting is that like they literally had someone on Fox News saying like this isn't harmful to people. It's no big deal. They literally this is a Fox guest. There's just no health risk. We have this kind of air in India and China all the time. No public health emergency. This doesn't kill anybody. This doesn't make anybody cough. This is not a health event. Particular uh, particulate matters. Just very fine soot. They're innocuous uh, or innocuous. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's insane. Like yeah. look, yeah, like I get it. If it's just a day here and there, I don't know what the health effects will be, honestly. But like the idea that in India and China this doesn't have health effects is insane. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wild. If you live through, yeah, and again, as noted. No, they don't have air like this in China and India every day because, again, in New York, where, uh, you know, this a lot of the Fox News people are located and whatnot in New York, they had the worst air in the world yesterday, basically. (laughs) So it's not like that every day in China and India, Mm -hmm. because if it was, it wouldn't be the worst air in the world. Right. So it was like it's it's. It's maddening. And I saw a really interesting tweet. And like this is maybe a discussion we have to have on the left, really everybody, but on the left. And they were basically like, the solutions to climate change may not be legal. Yeah. Right? Like, absolutely. You know, <laughs> like, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know, there was that, that famous, like, you know, book, movie, whatever, like, that was, you know, how to blow up a pipeline, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, look, how, how, how are you, how are you going to do it? Like like this this uh, the a Twitter account here this tweet went fa- uh, went fairly viral. This is a uh, from a a person who uh, used to work on the Bernie Sanders campaign and a, a DSA member. He's from the states, but he's talking about this issue and he says everyone under- everyone understands on some level that the only realistic solutions to the climate change crisis are extremely illegal. Yeah. Right and like make of it what you may. What he's suggesting. <laughs> But right, like, you know, and people are sharing pictures of how to blow up a pipeline. Um, there's a comic here where it's like a genie and it's like, I wish I had the fire, uh, the power to fight climate change. And the genie says it is done. Uh, and then the person is given a gun and the <laughs> genie just kind of stands there. Right. And so it's like, look, I don't know. Right. And somebody's sharing the gif of uh, Danny DeVito in Always Sunny saying, so anyway, I started blasting. <laughs> um, but like, honestly, yeah, at some point. Our governments aren't going to do anything. And here in Ontario, and really this is a thing that you've seen right-wingers do on both sides of the border, is that insofar as politicians have commented on the left, it's largely been like dismissed as politicizing the natural disaster. Mm. Uh, you've seen Fox News get really mad at AOC, uh, for, for instance, suggesting that this is at least in part due to climate change and like this is yet another in your face slap in the face warning that we need to do something and do something quick or it's like this will not be this will not be uh newsworthy because mm-hmm. it'll just be part of our regular like daily lives right yeah no it, um, it, it's wild to think about the and like Doug Ford tweet. did the same thing i think right like mm-hmm. you know uh Merritt Styles and other members of the of the Ontario NDP brought this stuff up 
and um, you know they they basically Doug Ford and his and his his people have been like the NDP is trying to politicize the wildfire crisis. Well, I mean it is political. Yeah, it is right. Like I get it. Like wildfires happen naturally, but like you know the 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 the, the if you don't think that these this rash level of wildfire is um is due to anything else but man-made climate change yeah. and ecocidal policy it's ridiculous right like mm-hmm. you know Doug Ford is, is is basically being like the NDP is trying to make hay off this issue but it's like they should make hay off this issue right yeah you know? he's presenting it like it is just you know a natural disaster with that is without one's control that is an act of God and I I do think that even the narratives, that are being, uh, I think, rightly um, presented, I think a lot from the left, suggesting that the only way we can really combat this climate crisis that is causing things that we've never seen in our lifetime, that is demonstrably making it less safe for you and I and the people listening to our voices to live comfortably in the world that they have traditionally been able to, the only way we can change that is through illegal action of actually taking you know charge because this is such a crisis again maybe it's been a while since we recorded this show and i've i've gotten some more hopefulness of uh you know the political spectrum how things work i'm wondering if that is happening and that you know such a critical response is needed only because of weak-willed politicians like i do wonder if there is a hot knife through butter sort of politician that can get momentum. If, you know, what we're seeing now is so much more than just awareness about this crisis. Like people are more afraid now than before. And it's really difficult to push like that Fox News narrative that you were suggesting, I think is seen as more and more laughable to regular people. So I do wonder if we had, you know, the right sort of NDP that was really pushing for dramatic systemic changes tomorrow for the biggest changes that they they could possibly suggest without just the complete destruction of capitalism, which is, of course, would be required. But I don't think they're going to be saying that, you know, day one. I do. I do wonder if, you know, now is finally the time because if we have so many segments of the population that would support this that are instead kind of relinquishing their abilities and just saying you know we cannot interact with politics to solve this crisis that is making our day-to-day more dangerous you know and it's it's very obvious i think to anyone that's living it you know we were talking beforehand I went for a little walk this morning and I'm coughing a lung right now. Like it, it smells like your neighbor just had a big fire. People are afraid. I have a little tiny dog and people are afraid to take out their animals, terrified for the health of the elderly that are just trying to enjoy, you know, a summer morning. And that is not something yeah. that I have ever like experienced son, like they, they living here. They basically cancel recess and stuff. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. like you said, they cancel recess. Like they're making sure that kids are safe and I have not experienced that living in this part of the world my entire life. And I think people are, if they're, if they're willing to even entertain the idea, I think that maybe we have to do something illegal to stop this, which I think is valid based on what we've seen. 
then to be fair, I don't know if that's a like that if that's I don't know if that's a mainstream viewpoint. I, it's right? a sentiment like, we've yeah. heard a lot in the last several years. Like that is something that I understand. You know, that is something that people have already lost their lives for, especially out west, fighting this encroachment of capitalism to destroy the natural environment of our country. Like I get that, but where do you think like I guess with that sentiment I mean like my can my a politician is, do this, I think. Like what I'm is your sure. thought? On and this? just one one thing actually, there's a there's a really good like the no health risk thing, one of one of the one of my favorite uh Twitter accounts, good politic. He's in a, a I think he's from the Atlanta area. Oh, he's yeah. just one of the best a good politic guys shared that that quote I just shared from Fox News and then a an air quality life index that's a study saying that this is from twenty twenty two, but basically saying that um in in New Delhi, uh or in Delhi where uh you know they often have um, among the the worst mm-hmm. air quality, at least in major cities in the world, that life expectancy is likely five to ten years lower Jeez. than it would be because of the air quality. My God! Right. <laughs> so, like, the idea that this is not harmful is insane. Right. Yeah. Again, one day is not is not is not you know uh, forty years or whatever. But the idea that it's it, that there's no risk. To, it's like honestly, it's like it's it's lying on the level of cigarettes are not harmful. Mm-hmm. Like it's that level of audacity. But, but everyone like, has to smoke. But everyone yeah, in a well, country exactly, is smoking. Well, exactly. <laughs> it's right? forced I mean, to. Like, my hope here is that like this is much more visible, mm-hmm. right? Like that, like climate change's effects i mean it's literally been killing people mm-hmm. but like it's been mostly affecting if we're being honest like rural areas yeah it's been mostly affecting places that are like far away from like the the border in canada where most of us live for the most part most of us in the east coast where like a lot of the the population density is in southern ontario and southern quebec have not been dealing with this and now we are and if you think like what's the percentage of canadians that live in that quebec city windsor corridor it's like 30 40 percent of canadians easy right maybe more right like like this is this is having an effect you would hope that the 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 visibleness of it would be something mm-hmm. that would have a big effect and while i know um that there there that twitter is not real life one person one of the the, the accounts i followed again this is Again, in the United States, but I, I don't know how different we would be. Mm-hmm. There's two main trends right now. One is hashtag NYC smoke, 5,000 tweets. One is hashtag climate scam, 32,400 tweets. <laughs> so it seems like, I, I don't know. Every no. time something like this happens, some people are like, this is going to be the moment. Mm-hmm. It's too drastic. It's too on the nose. It's affecting, frankly, too many middle class and upper class white people to be ignored. It's not just affecting, uh, you know, people in the rural areas. It's not just affecting indigenous people. Yeah. It's not just affecting the global the global poor who often suffer. Like you know, the the people in like uh, the it, like the people Flood who cause the least yeah. amount of climate change. Mm-hmm. Places like Africa and South Asia and whatnot are going to be the ones that bear the brunt of climate change. Entire Polynesian nations might disappear, right? Mm-hmm. These people aren't causing climate change on any significant level. Um, but <laughs> the reality is, like, this should be the moment, yeah. right? 
this should be the moment. It's like what Jugmeet, when he would say, like, you know, with with the water crisis, it's like, look, if we couldn't drink the water in in Toronto or Vancouver or Montreal, we would fix that shit immediately. We yeah. wouldn't be like, oh, we got to get getting it done in 30 years is a good deal for the indigenous people, but it's a lot of money and we're going to have to slow it down a little bit. You know what I mean? Like we'd fix the water. But I don't with the climate, like with the actual climate, I don't know, because this would be the moment. Yeah, this would be it. Like the richest, whitest people in the country who live in like the luxury condos and mansions of Toronto and <laughs> and like you know and and Oakville skyscrapers and all being those engulfed areas. in flame the in smoke, right? <laughs> like you know, in New York City, mm-hmm. just just you know the one of the richest cities in the world, where you know they're just just the, the skyline is dotted with you know hundred million dollar yeah. condos. Uh, if this isn't the moment where like everyone is like oh this is starting to affect me like a rich white person we have to start changing things i don't know what it's going to be honestly i'm skeptical yeah uh, both because is there a politician is there a political party even the ndp offering the changes needed no but it's like when you go to voters and you ask them what their priorities climate change is a priority but it's almost never the priority or even yeah. the second or third priority, right? We need you know, a couple most, weeks of this, I feel like, closer to an election maybe, to actually yeah, have a change. Maybe, yeah, it could be as simple as that. I mean, like, look, uh, memories are short in politics. We mm-hmm. talked about this. Like, Absolutely. Doug Ford was, like, like Doug Ford would have lost that election if it would have happened at a different time because of COVID. It was a big deal. Mm-hmm. But he was lucky in the sense that it happened at the right time and people forgot about COVID and... The opposition was divided and all of this. And it's like there's a perfectly conceivable uh, timeline where this happens and it happens again next summer. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> but there's no election. And then there's an election the following spring and 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 of 2025 or whatever, the federal. And no one's talking about it because those wildfires happened six months ago. Yeah. And no one cares anymore because it's February or March and it's not wildfire season yet again. Right. Mm-hmm. And like. And, of course, we have, like, a significant portion of the population in both countries uh, who are not only indifferent, because I think a lot of people are indifferent, but uh, who are actively in denial Mm -hmm. uh, of of all of this. Like, again, you have people, and some of them are cultists and believe it, and then others are just, you know, they're, they're paid to... To, 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 to say otherwise. They've politicized the know. smoke. They've done the thing that they accuse the left and the NDP of actually doing. They're actually looking at this as a political hot potato as opposed to a political like imperative, a solution that needs to be found to a problem as opposed to just an issue that can almost be brought into like culture war issues. So it's just, it is obscene in a level that it just reminds me of the depression that one can get when talking about uh, Canadian politics and and what can be done. Um, that timeline and the short memory that politicians and uh, people really have when it comes to voting, I think is really prescient here because I don't know if, unless we saw weeks of this, unless we saw, I think even if we saw people die, like this wouldn't be the thing that moves the needle. I mean, we saw COVID, that right? Should. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Look at right? all the people who fucking died for COVID. And mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of people probably were radicalized by that. And it did change probably a lot of people's perspectives. But clearly it has not changed the political discourse. And like, look, also it's like, I also worry about a future where like, 
unless it changes voting patterns, for example, or, uh, you know, civil disobedience patterns, mm-hmm. will politicians care? Because like we know, for example, just as one quick example, um, you know, we, we've talked about this before. Ask Canadians that support a wealth tax, and it's like 80%, yeah. including basically every liberal, every green, every NDP, or every bloc member, basically, and but also a lot of conservatives. And yet, when the NDP proposes a wealth tax in Parliament... Um, it doesn't get, uh, it, it, you know, the the MPs from the Liberal Party and from the Conservative Party who represent like 80% of the parliament don't vote for it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, what if you could mobilize Canadians to care? What if, the, the, you know, the, the, the nature of, of electoral politics does, doesn't change anything? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm skeptical. I really am. Because you thought, you'd think this would be the moment. We always say it's going to be the moment. And it's never the moment. Uh, and if you look out west where they've been having this a long time, they still have a lot of the same, you know, uh, non like policies that are either insufficient or mm-hmm. counterproductive. Right. Whether it's the B.C. NDP even, but certainly, you know, the Alberta conservative the governments and, and Saskatchewan and Manitoba that have all been under conservative government for some time now mm-hmm. um, are doing the opposite. It's like Doug Ford wants to cut trees down. You know, and, and he, he, you know, I yeah. guess maybe he maybe Doug Ford's like, if we cut them down, they won't burn. But, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. It's it's insane. Yeah. And I, I want to touch on just before we move on to the other uh, little taste of insanity that we felt in Canada last little while is the idea of where like tech and innovation comes in to solve our problems. Because I feel like that has been kind of the snake oil of this millennia, basically, and and probably historically in the millennia past, but this idea that tech will save us. And I think what we're seeing now, I don't know if you've been catching this. Shout out to fellow Harbinger show by Paris. Yeah, exactly. Tech will not save us. (laughs) So that's, that's, you spoiler alert. Yeah. Spoiler alert on that one. Instead, like in New York in particular, I've seen a lot of this because like we said earlier this week, they were hit worse than anywhere else that has been hit. But apparently Friday, Toronto is being hit with the same toxic cloud. That's yeah, like yeah, the clouds are moving over. I saw yeah. it on the weather network that so, this, the wind patterns are blowing it more over from you know, mm-hmm. our part of Ontario as well, because we over to you guys, yeah, at least so at least for the next day or so. We'll, we'll see exactly what that response is. But how long, how many years, especially in the last 10 or 15, have we heard that this great innovative tech will solve these sorts of problems, that there's ways that we can still be capitalists, but through technology, we can make our world safer and deal with the changing crises. The only thing that I've seen now, and it's sickening, like I'm actually getting a little nauseous talking about it, is new technology in air purifiers provided to the people who are living in those skyscrapers, in the buildings that are, again, in the millions to hundreds of millions of dollars. That is the sort of tech that is being, you know, really, really pushed. Consumer tech that's for the elite classes to make it so they can live in these like Elysium toxic waste dumps and be okay because they have these unbelievable purification machines. Like that is what is being pushed. And I think it reinforces that that sentiment that we've heard so many times from that show and and others that tech will not save us. It will not allow capitalism to exist and for us to still be free and live our lives. It will just make sure that the right people 
are enslaved and that there's a certain amount of, there's a certain class that will be able to live relatively comfortably. You know, I, I don't know if you see this, but every couple of weeks there's like a new AI guru, the new grandfather of AI that comes out and says, like, listen, it's going to kill everyone. It's just going to destroy our world. And then at some point, there's some actual tech advocates who are like, well, not if we really play this out, if we really follow the the through line here and there's this omniscient AI, the likelihood that they would destroy the planet or see that as happening is not really likely. What is more likely is they would destroy wealth inequality and the people who are killing the planet. Like that is who would actually be the victims of this sort of, you know, singularity of this great tech uprising. And for people that talk about tech that are living in that field, that is the end of the world to them because they are part of that. And I just, I feel like I, I didn't think that when the smoke was covering the sun and people couldn't breathe outside, the response from a segment of uh, our political spectrum would be, no, it's not. And that's not happening to you. And that would be yeah. posited by millions of people. And as you're just kind of sitting here, if you're on the left, a regular person like, well, fuck me. What am I, what am I supposed to do then? <laughs> like this? Have we gone that insane? I know you focus so much on the American derangement politically that has happened and I'm not going to say it just was invented like obviously there's some reaction to politics that's happened for a long time but I know you spend a lot of your days having to parse that insanity you know did you ever think that when we saw a crisis happening in a place that doesn't happen before where everyone feels it where you go outside and you start coughing the response from many would be no you're not doing that like it's not happening yeah, I mean, I, I guess it is a... Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think it's that surprising. I, don't. I didn't think there would be that level immediately here. I guess, again, that's maybe some naivete on my part, but, like, I didn't think I don't know, man. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not blaming you. I, mean, I, I just I just, I feel like... I just... I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I just... I feel like... Whether it's a mixture of just, like, people whose livelihood depends on not seeing the truth or whether yeah. it's um just, like, you know... Uh, you know, uh, hacking up a lung to own the libs, right? Like, I don't know, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not surprised. I, I think yeah. that one of the one of the real challenges, and I don't know what the solution is. Again, people have said the, is the solution may be illegal. Is that the problem with the climate change issue? Is that it's 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 super polarized, right? Mm-hmm. You know, between Republicans and Democrats in the United States, and basically between the the the. Uh, the, the conservatives and everybody else in Canada. Um, and like, look, this is not me suggesting that those other parties are doing enough, right? Often mm-hmm. they're cynical. Democrats aren't doing nearly enough. I mean, in the fucking budget deal that they rammed through, uh, which had, you know, cuts to uh, to uh, social programs, they basically put in a pipeline Yeah. <laughs> at, at the last second to help get mansion support, right? For Jesus, the deal, basically. Hey. So there's a pipeline in they're that budget great. deal just out they're of just nowhere. and Right? So, I mean, like, let's be real. Uh, no one's solving this, but because it's so polarized, I think at this point it's it's really tricky. It's like the next pandemic's going to be even worse, guys, mm-hmm. because the beginning of COVID, it wasn't necessarily politicized, right? It wasn't. Yeah. It, it very quickly became so, but it took a few weeks. The next pandemic, let's say it's just the same severity as COVID. No worse, no, 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 no more mild. Yeah. Um, immediately. No, no Republican governor is going to fucking 
you know, no no conservative premier yeah. or most conservative premiers are not going to implement mandates or will only implement partial mandates. It's it's going to be a big mess, and mm-hmm. I think that's where we are with climate. At some point, it, it, at the, at this point, it's like there is a there is a pro climate destruction constituency, if if only out of pure spite for their political rivals. Yeah. Oh boy, and P- and let's that's a good uh, segue. Like speaking of yeah. pure spite, you know, we wanted to talk about this uh, for a little while. Uh, Christo, I want you to take me through how the NDP shat the bed in Alberta. So obviously, yeah. this is is known now that uh, the UCP re- won a majority government. Daniel Smith did it. Uh, I think just recently there's some recounts, so I know there are some more NDP flips. I saw. Uh, maybe in the downtown area in one or two places, but it is yeah. it is a strong it is a strong it's a clear majority. Segment. Yeah, for, very for clear majority. UCP. Yeah. And that was they, not the some of the sentiments in the, you know, the months beforehand. There was this idea that maybe yeah, I know maybe you'll enlighten me more. But yeah, yeah. what uh, what do we think about that? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the general trend was that like when Kenny was still in charge, they were fucked. I'd lay like and who knows what ultimately would have happened. But like. When Kenny was still in charge, Notley was was trouncing them, and the yep. NDP was looking like they were going to win. Well, obviously, it'd be a majority because it's like a, it's like a two party province right now, so mm-hmm. you know what I mean. But they would have won, you know, a a a a a safe majority. You know, uh, swept Edmonton, swept Calgary, won a few outside, uh, and then when they picked the new leader, there was a sense that Daniel Smith being too extreme, in many ways, probably more extreme than Jason Kenny. For being perfectly honest, yeah, that that they kind of made a huge mistake, and what ended up happening is that just over time the polls got closer and closer and closer, um, and and Notley lost that lead, and I I don't know if there was any particular inflection point, or maybe people got used to Smith. It may have been the case that uh, you know Albertans have a higher tolerance for like a lot of the scandals that were exposed about Danielle Smith. It could have been that. She um got to be premier for a little bit, and yeah. uh, maybe you know, and g- gave her something of an incumbency advantage mm-hmm. without the notoriety disadvantage that Kenny had. Um, you know, it, I'm not sure. Some people suggest I haven't seen a whole lot of data on the, it specifically, but some people suggest that Notley didn't have the best debate. Mm. And that like the big debate was a kind of a point where maybe uh, Daniel Smith was more effective. Um, maybe people thought that the NDP leaned too hard into attacking Smith as uh, as as, um, you know, a nut job as she yeah. is <laughs> uh, and, and that not enough time pushing their vision and what have you and voters you know, obviously are not enthused with Danielle Smith because like, let's be clear, like they did win and they won a majority and an actual deserved majority in the sense that the conservatives got about 52, 53% of the vote, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, they, they, they did get over half the eligible cast. This is not a Doug Ford scenario yeah. <laughs> where you know, he gets like 35, 40, whatever it was, but gets absolute power. Uh, they did actually win a majority of the votes. Um, it is wild to see that map, though, Christo, when you're looking at Alberta, yeah. like just those little tiny spots or like mm-hmm. it is it is wild. Yeah. I mean, even more than Ontario in some ways. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the, 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 the you know, as, as important as Toronto is, you know, it's like these the Western provinces often have like one 
major or or two major urban areas yeah. and the rest of the province is, is largely rural. This is what happens in Manitoba. If you look mm-hmm. at the Manitoba map, uh, you know, that's the most extreme example because Winnipeg, it really is the only large city in the entire province. There's yeah. not even a whole lot of medium-sized cities. There's no Kingston-style city, mm. uh, you know, in or Guelph-style city in in, 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 in Winnipeg yeah. or in Manitoba. But the, but the point is... Like they just they just got reeled in and just it became clear that what was happening, it wasn't going to be enough. The NDP mm-hmm. would have needed to be closer in the overall vote total. They could have lost the popular vote in one. Right. Yeah. That uh, as as unfair as that is. Right. Like the reality is that there, there are windows for the NDP in a lot of these Western provinces to win uh, governments by losing the popular vote, mm-hmm. right? Because of how concentrated the vote is rurally for the conservatives, just how dominant they are in almost all of these really, really rural ridings, right? Mm-hmm. And so many of them, so that often means that like, you know, uh, yeah, the conservatives can win 70% of the vote in like uh, the most rural of ridings, in Alberta that, but they could lose a whole bunch of close ridings in, in Calgary, which they did, mm-hmm. but they didn't lose enough of them. The argument, the counter argument, and that, you know, I don't think you have to accept this is that the NDP ended up losing by about eight points. Yeah. Right. They lost fi- basically 52 and a half to, so eight and a half points, like 52 and a half to 40 to 44. Uh, and that did constitute a major swing. Mm-hmm. The NDP picked up 11%. Another factor about why the UCP was able to hold on in a sense, because there was a 20, basically a 26 seat swing, mm-hmm. right? They lost 11. The NDP gained 15. That's like a 20, like a net, a net shift of 26 seats, right? Wow. Yeah. But the reason they were able to hold on in many ways was likely due to the fact that they didn't, they didn't bleed a lot of voters. Mm-hmm. The NDP picked up 11 points but the PUCP only lost two. So what the NDP was effectively able to do was consolidate like the straggling liberal and Alberta party and all those like other parties that sort of existed before the orange wave in 2015 Mm -hmm. and became like the NDP became like far and away the only, the only option outside of the, of the, the, the now United conservatives. And what the conservatives did is they, they lost almost none of their voters. They oh, lost wow. almost none of their voters. There were there were some right wing splinter parties, but most of those votes came back, right? Like that's one mm. of the reasons the polling got better for the conservatives was if you look back in 2022, for instance, when the NDP was just way out a- ahead, there was that uh, the the Wild the Rose Independence Party, yeah, if you recall. But as the election approaches, what ends up happening? You can see this on Wikipedia. They have a chart here. You go in late 2022, early 2023 you start to notice that party disappear and then the UCP rise. The NDP's numbers actually don't drop during the election. If you look here, they sort of stagnate. In fact, they're never higher than they are during the election. The NDP, when their lead was biggest, was polling under uh, around 40 points. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their highest polling was right there at the end of the election. But if you look, the UCP just rises as they consolidate the, the 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 collapse of that of that right wing protest party. That's what happens there. Um, the argument is that 
the NDP could have won. Uh, the argument is that I think it's like 20, 2,600 votes. Oh, wow. I think I saw an analysis. Of maybe it was less. Somebody somebody did an analysis saying if you take the closest ridings in like places like Calgary and others uh, and you say uh, you, 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 you magically allocate the NDP votes the right way, then they they can win they can win the election. Now that's all that's incredibly um, <laughs> speculative, right? Yeah. Like you can't. A lot of things have to go right. Yeah. Magically say, okay, if twenty six hundred people more voted, and they voted in the exact right ridings in the exact right numbers, <laughs> and nothing else changed. Yes, that's true, uh, but I, I think that's a factor, and I, I don't know why they lost. I mean, yeah. the 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 NDP didn't run. Some people are like, oh, they ran a too left wing of a campaign. I really don't think that's the case. Some people suggest that they were proposing a, co- a corporate tax hike that maybe was unpopular, but I, I, I don't know if that would have affected it. I'm not sure what the what the number one reason is, um, mm-hmm. but they, 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 they just were not able to, the, the conservatives, I think, were uh, or the United Conservatives were able to consolidate that right-wing vote yeah. uh, at, the, at the death. And the NDP were able to consolidate much of the, of the non- um, much of the non uh, non non right wing vote, like mm-hmm. the people who vote liberal and whatnot, but it's just at the end of the day, uh, there were like the UCP was able to 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 take to 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 win back its protest vote in some ways, right? Yeah, and that's 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 a big part of it. Another factor: turnout was significantly higher. We should say this than the uh, than the Ontario election. Oh wow, sixty two point four percent. Ontario, <laughs> we, were, we were under fifty, weren't we? Yeah. Oh yeah, I was yeah. in the forties. So, so, so this had high turnout, but it should be said turnout was down five point one points from the last provincial election. Mm-hmm. So that could have been a factor too. It's not exactly clear who didn't vote. Maybe it was people who were apathetic about both parties, and yeah. those are the people that that Notley needed. That mm-hmm. like you know that that people who maybe voted conservative last time when they when they won big, right? Because if you remember the last election, the conservatives uh, ended up getting fifty four fifty five percent of the vote, but the NDP only got like thirty three. Mm-hmm. So you know they they won they won a massive majority last time. Last time the NDP only won twenty three seats, the conservatives uh, sixty. So, um, you know, they had a big, big win because the opposition vote was divided. Mm -hmm. Uh, The NDP was able to to claw some of that back. But it could have been the case that some of the people that came out and voted to turf Notley four years ago um, maybe weren't happy with um, the last four years. But they're also they don't like the NDP enough to come vote for them. And so they stayed home. Mm. And those are the people that the NDP likely needed. Like when they looked at polling, it's like there's like there's NDP supporters, there's UCP supporters, but then there's like the reluctant UCP voter. And it's like those people uh, needed to break more for the NDP than they did. And it could be a mixture of enough of them voted for the UCP, but also some of them decided to just not vote at all. It'll be interesting to see who those people were, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because it's not exactly clear. In the last provincial election, it was almost clear, like, the people who voted NDP in 2018 didn't show up. And that's the reason we did p- relatively poorly, the Ontario NDP. Yeah. They lost seats and whatnot. Because the Liberal vote didn't tank. The Green vote really didn't tank. It was our vote that tanked more than anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in this election, the NDP gained 11% of the vote. Uh, you know, in raw vote terms, they were able to get way more votes than they did last time. In fact, they got more percentage of the vote this time than they did when they won the election in 2015. Wow. Right? 
They got 44%. If you go back to 2015 when they won, they only got 40%. Wow, jeez. So Notley got four Notley got more raw votes and a greater percentage of the vote this time than she did in when she became premier with a massive majority government. They just ate up those third parties, eh? Like they, they really ate up just, the, yeah, you know. they ate up the third parties and the conservatives they they, they there, was, there was no vote split, right? No. Like they, when Notley won, there was there was the Wild Rose party and there was the uh, PCs. It, and I guess just looking at because that's a, a great explanation, like to see it in those raw terms, like, wow, like they were able to do something and, and make advances, but they weren't able to just fight off what the conservatives had there, the UCP had there. And I, I'm just wondering, looking in, how disillusioning it does feel as someone who wants to support the NDP that they can't get it across the finish line when your opponent is as laughably insane as Daniel Smith. Like, I, I do feel like that makes it sting even more. And it does make me wonder, like... It does who, feel like this was a winnable one, right? Yeah, yeah, know, yeah like, like they, yeah. they could have done this. Like, this is this this is a candidate they that is insane. They a moderate like, person, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, and make it very difficult to win. You, you know, you don't want to concede an election, but they didn't pick, like, a moderate type who, you know you know, would pretend to, yeah. to, to not be a nut job and all of this. But no, I mean, I don't know. It, I don't know what the solution is. I, I, I honestly, I, this is unpopular, but like sometimes you got to blame the voters a little bit. Like, yeah. like there was like a rapidly anti-trans candidate who compared oh, uh, trans kids to feces and like just absolutely vile stuff. Uh, and she won re-election, right? She well, won re-election. Like, and so like at some point you got to blame the voters, I think to some degree, honestly, to some point mm-hmm. you got to say Albertans, Albertans voted for this shit. They did. Yeah. I'm sorry. They did. And it's not even a first past the post scenario. Like the size of the majority might be based on first past the post, blah, blah, blah. But in reality, like over half the voters voted for this and turnout in this election was relatively high. Mm-hmm. But the question is, how can the NDP motivate people to come vote for them? And, and, and I don't know. I mean, certainly attacking Smith. Uh, and and the UCP was able for them to unite a a kind of coalition yeah. and and make, again make significant gains get significant gains in the amount of votes you got and mm-hmm. significant gains in the amount of seats you got all at the expense of the UCP at least in terms of seats but uh, at the end of the day you weren't able to convince uh, uh any any basically any UCP voters to come with you again they only yeah. lost two percent of the vote and uh, and 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 those people who voted last time but not this time and I don't know what the solution is I don't Wait, know if let me pause this something be, for you let me throw yeah. something at you Krista so if if the UCP and other conservative uh campaigns are maybe learning the lesson of you know having that modest moderate of this ideology that's still a ghoul but is able to act like maybe they aren't is no longer required. Let's just throw in the crazies that we're sure will give us exactly what we want and will also, you know, fire up a part of the base that wants trans people to be compared to feces. Like, just terrible, terrible shit. Is it possible that the lesson here, finally, for left-wing powers in this country is to be like, all right, let's actually throw out a candidate that believes in the stuff that these conservatives say is that uh, the NDP believes in? Let's actually get an extreme left wing candidate. Like, is that possibly a lesson 
that can be learned from this because as you're you're laying out, you know, they were able to consolidate. They did were able to win voters to maybe stop this sort of uh, government that is going to do some heinous fucking things to this province. Why, if you already lost with that and you weren't able to cross the finish line, why not actually have someone that maybe just a chance could enliven members of the population that do want big changes, that are seeing what's happening in this world, but are choosing not to participate in the political process simply because, you know, it doesn't speak to actually making it's disillusioning. It's, it's very upsetting to look at when you have candidates like that, when you have someone like a Daniel Smith winning, you know, do you think there's any chance that we'll actually see that? Cause I, you know, it's again, wishful thinking. This has been my episode for wishful thinking, but I'm just feeling like now is the time for at least a response. Now is the time for dramatic changes and like a complete destruction of a system that is killing us. But if we're not getting that, can we at least see left-wing powers and even liberal powers pushing candidates forward that can meet the severity of what the right is suggesting, but in the alternative? Can we at least give it a try? Do you see that? coming in this decade to come and you look a lot at American politics too so I'm actually I'm quite intrigued as is your opinion on this I mean there are there are candidates that are more bold and there are people that are more willing to like fight right wingers like both in the United States like they're like the new batch of democratic politicians Mm -hmm. even when they're not the left wing ones right but especially like but even the more moderate types are much more willing to like hate Republicans Mm. And, like, not be, like, Pelosi and Biden and be, like, you know, we got to find bipartisan, blah, blah. They're still corporate stooges and they'll still find bipartisanship on right. But, like, this idea that they're going to romanticize, you know, like the West Wing style. Yeah. Oh, we just got to find a way to work together. No, they'll they'll call Republicans racist and and whatnot. I don't know, though. Honestly, I don't know. I don't know if the, 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 the left operates in the same way. I don't know if the... The, the, the left side of the political spectrum in Canada operates the same way. I certainly can't see the Liberal Party doing it. Yeah. Um, and in Alberta, I'm not sure, right? Like, Notley, does she run on a more green message? What does that do? Does it motivate voters to come out? Maybe, but it might motivate some of the voters that voted for her to mm-hmm. vote for the UCP or to not vote at all. Um, does she push more investments, like uh, more of an economic leftism? That might have had more success, but... Um, you know, uh, the questions will always be how you going to pay for it and all that. I- I'm mm-hmm. not sure. I, mm-hmm. I That's what we should do. I just don't see it happening, frankly. Uh, that's just one of the unfortunate realities. Like, I don't see... Like, the NDP is running on more left-wing stuff now in most provinces than they were 10, 15 years ago. But they're not... The, the left isn't shifting as left as much as the right is shifting right. Yeah. That's the reality. They're not running I, I on know. right... They're not running on hating the right wing either, which I think is important. Like, well, that is to, not... To say, being seen here in Canada. Well, I mean, you've seen Singh attack Polyevra more and more. Yeah. But you're and 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 the Alberta NDP did attack the UCP pretty Mm -hmm. consistently. Like that was their thing. But it didn't it didn't like again, it worked, but it didn't work enough. Right. Because again, it it did work in the sense that, look, man, they got more votes than they did when they won the election. They uh, won a bunch of seats. They uh, you know, it was. Yeah, they lost by eight points. But in first past the post. They didn't lose by all that much. You could imagine a scenario where the NDP, maybe they would, like, let's say they got, like, the 2 3% more vote. Mm-hmm. They might have won that election, yeah. right? They might yeah. have won with 2 or 3% more. 
Like, I don't know. You'd have to see where those votes come from. Uh, you know, do they, does two or 3% more just help them run up margins in the seats they already won? Or does it actually act as a tipping point in all of these suburban ridings that they narrowly lost? I, I don't know. But mm-hmm. the point is, I just, I don't see that happening. Like to yeah. maybe to, to end, I know we were going to, we were going to talk about the Ontario election. I might have to wait till next week, but, yeah. uh, or the uh, Toronto mayoral election, but uh, to end on a note, no, I don't, I don't, I don't see us taking that lesson. I think the yeah. right is going to continue to be more and more insane. And I don't think the left is going to respond. And I'm not making like a false equivalency. Like we, like the, like us, we have, we'd have the same level of extremism or whatnot, but I don't think the left wing is going to respond with like a a bold candidate on the other side. I don't. I mean, if you look at the next, it's going to be Trudeau. It's going to be Singh. And I think Singh is being more bold than he was, but it's, he's, that's not his style to, you know, and, and if you look at the next liberal leader, it's likely to be Christia Freeland, and and it's that's not her either, right? Not at so, all. <laughs> no, so no, I don't see it happening. All right, and I don't see it happening. You know, like yeah, I just don't see it. Well, I'm going to give you a little teaser, folks, because we will be back next week. You know, our our lives are getting more in line, so we're going to keep trying to bring you the show. But it, it is interesting. I'm thinking about the last election, and it's just a little teaser for next week, where Olivia Chow was running for mayor of Toronto, and it is unfortunately where she lost bad to both John Tory and Doug Ford. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, it was Doug Ford that came in for his uh, brother. I'm confusing the names right now. But in that election, we saw that three quarters of Torontonians would rather vote for a absolutely avowed conservative than they would for anyone who was remotely progressive. And now, you know, several years later, almost 10 years later, we are seeing Chow come in and maybe on name recognition alone have a huge, at least purported, chunk of the vote and is is miles ahead at this point when we're a couple of weeks from election. So as much as we do want to put in these ideological lines that we think people follow, and I know uh, municipal politics is different, but if you have that incumbency, if you have some sort of really reliable name recognition, it seems like people are not willing to vote on those ideological lines, maybe for the same reasons that you said earlier, Christo, that people actually do want wealth taxes like fundamentally they don't want their outside uh playgrounds to be full of smoke and their kids can't have recesses like that's not something that people in canada or america really want but the fact that it has been created as kind of a culture war thing by the right makes it so they have to suffer and i think fundamentally you know people don't want that we do not want actually if you really think about it and they're true to their hearts they don't really want the entire climate to be destroyed. Even the most villainous, hateful people still want like the Banff uh, waterfalls to look beautiful. You know what I mean? Like even the worst of the worst still want to preserve something that this country has. And unfortunately we're seeing that being eaten up by a movement that I think is hates more that understands where their culture lies and yeah, I think we talked about this episode. We're not seeing a reaction to it that can stop it. So maybe the solution is something outside of politics. You know, maybe it is something outside of this system that is not giving us the answers 
that we need. Uh, that's all for me today, Christo. You good? Yep. Have a good one, everybody. Hang in there and keep safe. Thank you.